Lord, one of the um, Bible uh, texts that comes up at a funeral is that in the midst of life, we are in death. And it's also true the other way around. And as we remember both an actual death, thinking of Alvin, and the new life all around us with new babies, we pray that these words of death and life would come home to us and that we might live more fully in the life that Jesus offers. For the sake of his glory. Amen. Well, the text that uh, has just been read is a a tremendous passage. Uh, I was part of a team very many years ago when I was a student, and we uh, went out as a, a gospel ministry to the great concrete tower block hotels of Torremolinos. Probably very few have ever been to those concrete. Colin Crouch is giving me, I don't believe you ever went to Torremolinos kind of look. But I did, and bear the scars. Um, uh, In those days, uh, cheap package holidays were all the rage. Uh, Tourists would go out, but they were separated from their favourite TV programmes, and they uh, didn't really know what to do in the evenings. Uh, So, uh, obviously, that was an opportunity for us, and we'd go talk to them about Jesus. Um, and a surprising number of them did actually want to talk about Jesus. It was fantastic. We had a great time. And Ephesians uh, uh, 2 verse 8 actually was at the heart of what we were saying about grace and faith. But there's more to that, uh, this passage than that particularly famous text. And most of what we're about today, thinking of serving, is actually verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're created to do good works, but according to verse 9, we're not saved by them. Not by works, but for works. And most of this morning is just about unpacking that. There's some things at the beginning of this passage that seem a bit weird. As for you, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Well, how can you both live and be dead. Well, to explain that, we might go to uh, verse 5. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Transgressions just means uh, falling short, uh, crossing a line uh, against what God might want us to do. And the important thing to say in this language of death and life is it's not the same as talking about good and bad. We all know good, kind, dear people who may well be much nicer than ourselves. We probably know a number of people who do not follow Jesus who are good, kind, and much nicer than we are. But as Paul means things here in Ephesians, they're still dead because they're not alive in Christ. They've not been brought to that new creation in Christ. For St. Paul, the basic category in the world is not good and bad people, but between dead people and alive people. You might be here this morning as a really nice person, but what God sees and knows about you is that you are dead in this sense. So, sticking with verse 10 for a moment, what are these works 
that the new created live people are supposed to do. Well, Ephesians is going to go on to tell us how we should live and and cover some of those works. But I want to pause for a moment and uh, look at some history. Because a few hundred years ago, our own church was uh, caught up in what we call the European Reformation. And passages like this were really important. Because the church had declined into believing that we are put right with God by being good. And scholars came along who had rediscovered texts like verse 8 and said, no, we are saved by God's sheer mercy. Because dead people are by definition incapable of doing anything, let alone anything that God might like. They're dead. God loves us and is merciful to us dead people simply because he loves us and makes us alive. It's not because of our doing good that he loves us. Rather, he loves us first. And then good works follow from grateful, alive people. Not by works, but for works. That's why we call the gospel the the good news. We are told that we, who actually know our goodness, really would never impress God. We're to look to his kindness, not to our goodness. And to answer our question, what are these works, we can look at what St. Paul himself says in Ephesians. And I found it a surprising list. I ran through from uh, chapter 3 to verse 4, to chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, and I found these. This is a life, these good works, uh, this is a life that is humble and submissive before God and his people. It's obedient to the gifting that flows from God's Spirit. It's truthful in speaking to one another. It's concerned to speak out what God has done. It's well-armoured, well-defended against the challenges that the world throws at us. And it, it, is, it delights in building up the church. Which sounds like a good list, but it's a surprising list because it's entirely free of things you're supposed to do. It seems of no help as any church decides on a particular form of service. Do we open a travelling library? Do we provide meals in school holidays? Should we, as one mother requested us this week, run holiday club for six weeks in the year? (laughs) If you're here, no. (laughs) What Paul cares about in the life of service seems to be much less about attempting the extraordinary and much more about transforming the ordinary. Married life is there in Ephesians. Family life is there. Work life is there. Church life is there. And I wanted to illustrate the difference by talking to you about an experience I had when I was door-knocking for the Who Cares campaign. We went round from door to door in our area Uh, handing people a card and inviting them to complete it. We don't know what each individual said, though we know the final results those are in. Uh, But just asking each person, what is it that hurts the most? What's the one thing you find hardest to handle? And I took uh, the question, I identified myself as being from Holy Trinity. One person, let's call him John, said to me, oh, in that case, do you know X? Well, I did, and I said so. 
they play the same sport. Now, I don't think X, who's a member of our church, reckons he is doing much to serve the networks and local community that our vision statement invites us all to do. But here, in this local community, it's exactly that that he's been doing. And John, the guy I met on the door, has been impressed by X's integrity, his thankful spirit, his gentle guidance, and his commitment to what he follows. It's the ordinary transformed. So much for what we can do, what might we learn about what we shouldn't do, or might not do. I, used, I read a long time ago a piece of advice that said, never join a church that has a gymnasium. <laughs> and so my congratulations to all of you, because you haven't. But what it meant was this. Churches that want to make an impact can fall for the idea that the thing to do is to pull people into the gymnasium, into this program or that facility or the other event, all focused on the church together. Everyone always means well when they say that. But the danger is that the program and the facility and the event become an in-house activity. Not so much an open door for the world to come in, but an insulating layer so that we don't have to go out and find our own gymnasium and talk to people who are not like us. It can happen even with Christian church services too, of course. We are at Holy Communion. As a minister friend of mine put it a long time ago, is this cream cakes for Christian layabouts, or is it rations for Christian soldiers on campaign? Now, we ourselves have been involved in some events and campaigns and programs of late. I've mentioned the door knocking for Who Cares? There was the community games. We've just had the Rise and Shine Holiday Club. And Cypher's service in Uganda starts this week. And I'm guessing that there is more to come as a result of uh, the Holiday Club. I know that we're, uh, we're actually setting up an after-school club. don't quite know who's going to be running it, but we know that we, it would be mad to have that Holiday Club with the enthusiasm of those youngsters and not set up something to follow. But I do want to be on our guard, and I regard it as part of my job to keep us on our guard, against doing things that merely provide an insulating layer, protecting us from a more raw, more basic, more naked, if you like, encounter with our neighbours. It can be easier for some of us to set up an entire church project with all that lovely organising with people you already know than it is simply to book yourself into your company's sports day and go meet people you didn't know and learn their lives and needs. And one of the reasons that we may be reluctant to do that is because we feel we're on our own. But that, of course, is where things like small groups can make a huge difference. They support our individual work of service to our networks and local communities, and they hold us accountable for it. We do have to beware when we want things to be run by church. Are they just covers for things we want to do with people who are cozy for us? It's often true 
that we aim at something really gospelly, but settle for something that may look a bit like it, but isn't really like it at all. The church must have a project with capital letters. And all we end up doing is looking like nice people. But out there, others expect churches to be nice. So a nice church project does not leave our communities astonished that there should be a different kind of people in the world that Ephesians describes, humble, gifted, building up, serving. We have to let ourselves be known properly, closely, and sometimes projects can get in the way. And as we engage more than we have done with our local area, we will all be tempted to find a a good thing, a project, and it can get in the way of the best thing, the simple interaction with our neighbours. Doesn't mean, of course, we don't engage in any social projects. Of course we do. Jesus cared about people in their health and their well-being, and so should we. But he knew a time, remember, when he healed ten lepers. Ten people got better. That's fantastic, but only one of them came back. He was happy to do good uh, prodigally and to live with the fact that only one came back. Only for one person was there really a difference from death to life. We do good things because they are to be done. But we have to be very cautious between placing on them the expectation that they will make a difference for change. I happen to like Besom's model. Uh, Some of you will, I hope a lot of you will know that we are uh, a base for that work across the churches of the city where Christians who uh, want to give can find a channel for their giving. Uh, the, The work that they do is humble. It makes giving possible. It just gets on with it. And then at the sharp end, if someone asks transformer type questions, like, why are you doing this? Why are you clearing my garden? Why are you painting my kitchen? Why are you supplying me with a bed? If someone asks the transformer why questions, they get answered humbly, truthfully, praisefully. And I also know that those serving don't call it their only service. So how might we put the whole package together? Avoiding what we shouldn't do and doing what we should by way of serving our networks. How can we get it right? Well, many are serving, and we give thanks for that. But far from all, and not all in ways that will make a difference to our networks or communities. So let me finish by making two simple, clear points. Firstly, verse 5 comes before verse 10. It's fairly basic in the arithmetic of the passage. Verse 5 comes before verse 10. Verse 5 is the heart and soul of it all. And it invites you to look at your story, as you're here this morning, and see it in terms of death and life. It's not a question about whether you're good or bad, but rather this question. Do you know that you are alive in Christ and that by nature you were previously dead? I fear that we don't like that language about others, about our networks and communities, because we don't really like it about ourselves, first of all. But Jesus did not give up an hour of a week, an hour each week, to make you a better person. That verse we've already used, Mark 10, 45, says he gave up his life to save you from death. 
This is a death and life business. And serving will make no sense without that. Have you faced it for yourself? Are you coming to church and doing good things and impressing people and perhaps even doing better than you were a year ago? But truth to tell, you're, not, you're still not alive. This passage says that by nature we are objects of wrath. How do you react to that thinking about your friends? How do you react to that thinking about yourself? I can look at that and say, yeah, that was true. But it's not true now. Hallelujah. It was true then, but not now. I know now I've been saved. I am made alive by God's sheer goodness. And can you say the same? If you can't, then talk to us. Talk to me. We know we are sinners who needed life, not good people who needed a bit of help. Secondly, with verse 5 behind us, then all our good works, as in verse 10, all our service of our networks and local communities must be bent, as it were, back towards helping others understand verse 5, eventually. We do not engage in these good works for which we were new created so that people think we are nice so that people think we are good. We want them so to be confronted by perfectly ordinary encounters with us, but thoroughly transformed in Christ, that only Jesus explains the completely mad way we behave, acting humbly, obedient to our commission, thankful before God, truthful in declaring the work of God in Jesus. So verse 5 comes first. Then we get to verse 10, but verse 10 is intended to take everyone else in our life back to verse 5. And that's how the kind of virtuous circle of the passage. I sort of expected, planning the service, that there would be a great call to enter into 17 forms of structured service that need filling. And they do need filling. We don't have this summer enough people to staff all the Sunday groups the way we would like. Uh, We're going to need people to... Uh, offer for service at the PA desk soon. Uh, We've got some holes in the welcome ministry. We've got holes all over the place, as tends to happen by this time of year. And so, uh, yes, of course, I want those places filling. And there will be more as we follow up on the summer activities, I know. There are some things we have to do together as a church. But service flows naturally from verse 10 and powerfully from those who know their verse 5, that they were dead and have been brought to life by the overflowing love of God in Jesus Christ. You are not here because you live in the language of good and bad, but because here in word and in a moment in bread and wine, here are the signs of life from the dead. And our service is shaped by the glory and the gratitude that comes from those who have been made alive.